0: Good evening everyone. That was my wife Gina with that exhortation. My daughter Abby was the one reading the prophetic lament and calling us to feel God's heart and enter into prayer over these powerful uh, symbols and realities of adoption and um, giving life and also to do the same through the spirit. And then my other daughter Faith also joined us. I know Mike pointed them out, but I just want to make sure everyone gets introduced. There's Faith in the back. Uh, right there in the middle. So it's a real pleasure to be with you all tonight and a privilege to teach a little bit from the word. I really uh, admire you guys and how you're all going for it. I just love and so respect the DAOs and their whole family and all the folks that are leaders here. So I just really commend you guys and, and uh, encourage you to just go for it. And may the Lord give us all grace to go for it. Amen. I have this theme on my heart of Sabbath rest, and I'll introduce that a little bit. I think why I have it on my heart, but you can turn to Genesis chapter two if you want to read along in your Bible. Uh, that's one of about three or four texts I'll look at just to kind of slide into this, uh, this theme of Sabbath rest. I'm going to start in Genesis 2, where God creates the Sabbath day, so to speak, but where I'm coming from, I've had this theme on my heart as I was praying and thinking about being with you guys, um, so in in uh, 2020 Easter, I, I gave a message over Zoom, now many of you I've never met and haven't seen me before, but uh, several of, of uh, church works that do something like what you guys do here. We're in Charlotte. We do something similar, another one in Chicago. And I think the folks, some folks from Alabama were joining us anyway. I, I was asked to speak an Easter message during the lockdown. So we were doing it over Zoom. Plus, we were all connecting from different places anyway. I felt like the Lord's showing me that the, the, the season of pandemic, you know, among many other things, was a time that God is using for his church. Okay, the pandemic is not good, but he's still using it for his church to go into a kind of tomb and find rest, after which God is going to call us out in a kind of resurrection, a renewal, a catapulting forward, with a real fresh anointing and resurrection glory. So that theme is still rattling around in my brain. I feel like we're still in that place of a kind of tomb. It doesn't mean we don't function. It means we do all that we know we're supposed to do. But, but it's a season where we're entering God's rest. And we're learning what that means. And we're learning how to do it. And how to position our hearts to be at rest as individuals in our hearts, but then also as churches. How do we together as God's family enter rest so that we are positioning ourselves to be ready when God calls us out of the tomb? Okay, it's a long day. It's a long season. It's not just one Sabbath, one Saturday. But it's a season defined by rest so that if we're entering God's rest which is where we should all be, right? We should have entered and continually entering God's rest. It's from that place of rest that God calls us forth to greater things, to greater dimensions of his grace and his glory in knowing him and making him known to the world and building his people. So I'm bringing out some of these issues of Sabbath from these texts where Sabbath is declared and and talked about. So in Genesis chapter 2, God has been creating over the six days, of course, and in chapter 1, he's been creating, and one of the things that he did was he put the lights in the sky. You remember that? There was the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he says he put the lights in for that distinction, but also as signs, as signs, and for, for days and for years, for seasons. So God created all of these heavenly bodies, our sun and our moon and the stars and all of this. And and the purpose in Genesis was because they were to help guide the, the different seasons or to mark the different seasons. You know, In ancient Israel, they were an agricultural uh, people and, of course, culture. So new moons and Sabbaths and the the different seasons of weather and the rains, the early rain, the latter rain, all of this was a part of life for them. They had to know their seasons and they had to pray for rain during the rainy seasons. Their lives depended on the early rain. Their harvest depended on it and then their harvest depended on the latter rain to bring in that final crop in the fall after the spring and they were supposed to pray accordingly. So God built into nature Mark's and signs for seasons. And we need to be aware of these seasons. We should know spiritually what's happening in the spirit realm and what season are we in so that we know how to act. The sons of Issachar knew the times and the seasons, the scripture tells us, in the days of David, right? The sons of Issachar, they knew the times and the seasons and they knew what Israel should do. So we want to be privy to our season and to what that means, so that we know how to act beautifully in our season, according to Ecclesiastes three. So anyway, Genesis two. We talked about Genesis one a minute. No, this is not uh, the. Uh, this is not me covering every single chapter in the Bible tonight. Uh, now we're on chapter two of Genesis. <laughs> Can you imagine? Let's just all leave now and get it over with. <laughs> Not just kidding. I'm not going through the whole Bible. Just a few passages. That wasn't that funny, I guess. I guess we're, um, we're in an intense mood. Fair enough. I, I respect that. I respect that. Or I'm just not funny. Um, I'm not being a very good warm-up band for David next week. <clears throat> I'll try to do better. Genesis chapter 2. So, so, so the heavens and the earth were completed in all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because on it, he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. So, of course, this is extraordinary because we know God is not one who gets tired. (laughs) He wasn't building for six days and then, phew, you know, now I have to take a break. We know that Isaiah tells us the Lord does not tire. You know, the young men get weary even, but the Lord doesn't. So when we wait upon him, we renew our strength. What's happening here is that God made this beautiful creation in six days. And on the seventh day, he entered into creation in a sense. He's God. He's separate. He's distinct from creation. He's he's not created But he made this environment of the heavens and the earth, all the lights and the skies, and this beautiful creation that we live in, which is enormous, by the way. We live in an enormous creation, right? Still, about 70% of the oceans are unexplored, untouched by human ingenuity or mechanism or anything else. 70% of our our watery oceans are unknown to us for all that we know with all of our instruments of knowledge our own earth is still you know much a mystery to us and of course there's all the 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 out in space right the dark matter and the dark energy they called it because our our instruments can tell that out there in the heavens, there's matter, but they call it dark matter because they don't know what it is. The instruments tell us there's things out there, but it's, it's matter, but our instruments can't tell us what it is, it's just there. And then there's energy. There's different uh, kinds of energy that are being detected by our instruments. And we don't know what it is. We know it's there, but we don't know what it is. So they, we call it dark energy and dark matter which constitutes about 96% of our known universe, or, or our what, what observable universe. 96% of our universe, we are clueless about what it is. Our, our science is telling us that. And yet in Job, this is all called the fringes of God's ways. So even our little lower creation with all of our galaxies is still below the highest of the heavens. The greater glory, where Psalm 8 says you've displayed your glory above the heavens. But the lower heavens, space, is like billions and billions and billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies that are themselves hundreds of billions of light years in expanse. And this is lower creation than our little tiny marble that we live on. Is, is beyond our own comprehension. It's, the oceans are still mostly unexplored, et cetera, et cetera, And yet these are only the outskirts of what God has made. <laughs> We're overwhelmed just by creation, and this is only lower creation. One day it's all going to be renewed. God made all of this as an environment for us to live under and in, and he did it for six days, And on the seventh day, he manifested himself entering rest, treating this lower creation like a temple where he came and found residence. That's what it means to enter rest. Like when the children of Israel were fighting to get into the promised land, they they were entering rest by entering the land of Israel. And so when Moses prayed that God would go back onto the on the ark that they were carrying, he would say, arise and enter your rest. You know, Take your seat again on your throne. So when the scripture tells us that God's entering rest, yes, he's ceasing from creating new things for in terms of this creation. But he's also entering into creation as if he's entering into his temple. And then he would have fellowship with the image that he put in his temple, right? We're the image of God It's all cleverly works out. I like it anyway. And then he has fellowship with us and that's all a part of his rest. Well, Jesus took off on this Sabbath and he made it into something even greater as a spiritual principle for us. So I'm going to turn now to Matthew chapter 28. Actually, a few verses from Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew 27, Jesus dies on the cross. In verse 51, the veil of the temple is torn in two, the earth shakes, the rocks split. I'm in Matthew 27. Just looking at a few verses quickly. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So this all happened in conjunction with the death of Jesus. We find out in verse 53 that these saints that are raised from the dead, they come out of the tombs after he's raised from the dead and enter the holy city and appear to many. So, these are extraordinary events. The death of Jesus has eternal, cosmic, human ramifications for all of creation. On what day did Jesus die? I'm playing Bible professor right now, or Sunday school teacher. What day did Jesus die on? It was on Friday. The church, some liturgical calendars call it Good Friday. And then he was raised, of course, on the third day, which is a Sunday. We, we tend to meet even today. Even house churches often usually meet on Sundays. But on what day is in between? That Sabbath day. The, the, the seventh day is the day he rested. Even having died, he was in the tomb for a whole day. He entered rest. He died and he entered a tomb. He entered rest, posturing himself for God to raise him from the dead. And that's what happened on Sunday. So we have this story at the beginning of chapter 28. And the language here is both factual and it's sending signals. It's sending a message. Verse 1, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. So we have the report Jesus died on that Friday. He died on that Passover day. Then he was in the tomb on the Sabbath. He was resting. And then on the third day, God called him forth from rest. So Matthew tells us, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, there was the severe earthquake. The angel had come down from heaven and uh, rolled away the stone and sat on it. So it's a new day. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Isn't this extraordinary? The entire universe just shifted. All of creation, heaven and earth, just, just shifted. And there's these two ladies that came to see the first fruits of this shift. Time and eternity just completely turned upside down. Here are these little ladies, these precious little daughters of Zion just came to see what was happening. It was almost like a private ceremony, this massive shift. It was a private kind of witness, a little little team of people are seeing this lightning angel and about to encounter Jesus. Sometimes great things happen in very small ways, small packages at first. And God calls us to witness them by faith. I believe we're in a season where we are supposed to configure ourselves as individuals and as churches to enter this season of rest. So on that that moment when God calls us forward, we're ready because we've uh, we've been occupying ourselves to find out what it means to enter rest and then to do it. Jesus entered rest out of obedience to the Father. Sabbath, he rested. God raised him from the dead, and here are these ladies. Uh, They see the angel who says to the women, "'Don't be afraid, because I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. "'He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. "'Come and see the place where he was lying, "'and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. "'And behold, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. "'There you will see him. "'Now look, I've told you.'" So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, And ran to report to his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice. Or another translation would say greetings, but it's the idea of happy greetings. And they came up and and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And he said to them, Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go bring word to my brothers to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. And what they thought was something tragic and negative became the dawning of a whole new day, a whole new creation where now Jesus is Lord and King alive from the dead. He poured out his Spirit. We run with the message, and all who believe are immersed in the Spirit. They're immersed in the body of Christ and become his body, his people, to shine his light in this dark world. It's awesome, and this is what we're doing until Jesus comes back. Now, all of this began on this day that dawned when he rose from the dead. I'm saying symbolically, we're in a season of Sabbath rest and ought to occupy ourselves with lining our hearts up with that rest. So when God speaks, we're ready, even if we don't feel ready. And it may happen with great fanfare and drama. It may not, but I believe it's going to happen, where God's going to touch us afresh and do a new thing. So this is what I want to talk to you tonight now for a little while longer here. I have four points of what it means or really how to enter into God's rest. I'm sure there's much more to it, but these are the things I believe the Lord put on my heart tonight to share with you. And each one of my points, there's four points, and each one conveniently begins with the letter R, because we're entering rest, and it's just one of those things that preachers do, I guess. And also R is a common letter, if you've ever watched um, Wheel of Fortune. Try not to speak about wheel of fortune while you're preaching. That's what my mom always never told me. (laughs) Divine rest means our hearts are content because God is ruling. I'll give you the four R's in a minute. Why don't I give them to you now? You know what we need to enter divine rest? How about that? We need revelation. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ in his beauty. We need relationships with one another to be in order and healthy. We need rhythm. We need to live rhythmically in in the way we conduct our lives. We need a divine rhythm. And we need restoration. We want to give our hearts fully to the Lord and to one another as is appropriate. So there's no hidden areas of sin or compromise or just a lack of health, just foolishness that continues in our lives, but rather God's rule grants us shalom and our restoration is is uh, that fourth aspect of how we enter God's rest. When we're at rest, our hearts are content. Our emotions, our hearts bear witness to the fact that we are at rest in Jesus. Hearts that are at rest are genuinely happy. It okay, doesn't mean you're always in a good mood and we go through. I mean, Abby was up here leading us in something she feels the spirit gave her, which was a lament. So the point is not that we're never sad. Paul talks about how he's always rejoicing, yet there, he's always got sorrow in his heart because of his lost Jewish people. I mean, a heart that's at rest in God has great emotional capacity to enter into lament when he or she feels God's lament, but always also at the same time having joy, truly being happy that the the issue of sin has been solved and my conscience is clear and I know Jesus and he's good. He's truly good. Jesus is enjoyable. He is wonderful. In your presence is a little bit of joy. It's a fullness of joy because there's no part of the heart that's left untouched by the goodness of Jesus' leadership. It's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win situation. As we'll see if I ever get to my last text. Every situation is redeemable. Even those of us who mourn, Jesus says, Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The heart that's at rest is at rest in him. Our hearts can sometimes be agitated. Our hearts are especially agitated when we don't have divine rest. But worse than agitation is contentment outside of God because that's more deceptive. At least the agitated will seek peace in the Lord or really seek the Lord of peace. They're more, the need is more pronounced. But our hearts know how to be content to adjust psychologically and emotionally if we have the right tools and we're connected to creation or a therapist or something. We can find ways to be content without realizing we're not truly at rest. So, we're jealous to enter divine rest. Come on. We want to be at rest, not because our team is winning and there's enough money in the bank. I mean, those things may help a little bit. But we want to be at rest because Jesus is king and we're little branches abiding in that great vine and all is well. Right on. So our emotional makeup will bear witness to the fact that we are at rest. Hearts that are at rest know how to find contentment. It doesn't mean you have perfect peace every moment of your life. You just know where to go when it's disrupted, which is basically all of life. We're in the rough and tumble, finding our way back as branches in that vine. Come on. That's a good preacher cheerleader for you. Right? We're not in this constant high of joy and contentment, but we know that when it's shaken, we know where to go. Right? Paul was one who could write about these things with authority. He talked about being perplexed, but not despairing. He talked about not being anxious for anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses comprehension will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that same man talked about in 2 Corinthians 1, whatever situation he was in, in Ephesus, he said we were in despair for our lives. He faced an emotional despair. This is a man that was not given to fear or anxiety. In fact, he said later in the same letter, we're perplexed but not despairing. But earlier you said we, we, you did despair. Yeah, for a minute, come on, let's be real. Even the greatest saints don't just walk on the wind and float around in emotional perfection. We're in a constant battle and war zone. So Paul said, yeah, I face some raw emotions in the face of some very difficult situations. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm going to wear it on my sleeve. No sense putting on our Sunday face. That doesn't help people. Paul's an apostle, he wants to help people anyway, and he faced this despair. But he said, Well, we face this terrible situation so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Yeah. And you know what Paul says as a result of that? You know, he said, We you know, winds up. I didn't, he saw this, he said, the sentence of death I had written, we had written in ourselves. We were resigned, we're not going to make it through this, we're going to die. He was sure of it. But God rescued him, he said, and he will rescue us again. And so I found God on a whole new level, says Paul. And now I know how to be comforted with the comfort of the Holy Spirit on a level I never knew how. And you know what I do with that comfort? I speak comfort to you all. No matter what we go through. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. (laughs) It's all for you. I went through all of that for you. But on the inside, the, the Holy Spirit is like a fire in a burning bush who rules my emotions. I face some really hard times and my emotions are are, are flared up and disobedient for a minute to to the rule of God, but then I know how to relate to the Holy Spirit and he brings comfort and he brings joy and he brings peace. So it's not that we become super spiritual with some kind of almost idolatrous image of ourselves where we, I just I must not be a very good Christian. It's like, no, you're just a real person. Let's find God in the midst of the reality. Let's get off the TV Christianity that's all image-based and have real humans with real hearts, real circumstances, real family members and friends, real, uh, real troubles and trials, and real emotions, and bring all that to God and connect. And learn how to enter his rest. Divine rest means the Comforter is comforting our hearts, even if our circumstances are not. Well, to turn, to, to turn, okay, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. To find this rest, to enter in. Over and over and over again, I believe we need these four R-words, these realities. We need and must continually seek a revelation of Jesus Christ in his beauty and in his magnificence as he is in himself, not as we want him to be. That was a good way of putting it. We want Jesus as he is. We don't want our version of Jesus. We want the real Jesus. Now, how many of you know when you have the real Jesus... He's not going to yield to you and submit to you and me and obey us. He's going to be himself and lead us, not be led about by us. And there are times he will give us exactly what we want, even if it's not for our good. Like in extreme situations, when people insist on a certain kind of sin, he hands them over. All right, this is what you want. This is what you get. The way they wanted a king the first time. As a judgment, he said, all right, I'll give you what you want. But it doesn't work out very well when we get to that point. The, the, the real point is when he does that, it's only under certain circumstances, and it's a form of chastisement or judgment. It's not good. Generally speaking, however, Jesus is king. <laughs> now, there's some good theology for you. Generally speaking, Jesus is king. In other words, he's the Lord. We're not. Right? So when he's leading us, right, we want him as he is. Listen, we need a revelation of Jesus. That's my point. But we can't make him the way we want him. He is Jesus. He's the son of the father who is who he is. I am who I am. I'm not who you want me to be. I heard one preacher say, when God says I am, it implies you're not. God is who he is. He's not an idol. So the, the, we need a revelation of him to enter rest. We need him as he is, not as we want him to be. This is why Jesus says, blessed is he who does not stumble over me. I may lead you places you never imagined. I may bring you into circumstances that didn't fit your script. Or even what I did tell you and you believed, you had your own version for it, but I changed the, well, I didn't change anything, but I changed what your vision of it but Jesus is just being me. So, you know, there's a blessing pronounced Jesus is just being himself, (laughs) not me. (laughs) That's what I get for thinking the next thought before I finish the first thought. Many Christians' faith are destroyed by disappointment in the Lord. But Jesus is saying, but if you surrendered to begin with, if your posture was a place of worship rather than idolatry, then it's impossible to be disappointed. You just stay with me. I'll see you through to the other side. We just won't find divine rest if we're following our own version of Jesus, our own script of Jesus' story for us. We're not going to find rest. Oh, if I could only have this job and this breakthrough or this spouse or... This ministry, if I could only just have the, you know, what, coming up as in, from ministry school many, many years ago, it's like everybody wanted this ministry and they want to be something great now online or something. If I could only have this, I'll be content. No, you won't. Or if you are, it's the wrong kind of contentment. We have, we, we, our hearts tend to idolize the one who should be worshipped. But we won't have divine rest unless we simply know him as he is. And we say, yes, Lord, you are wonderful. I just love you. That's like that's the key to divine rest. That's why in our passage here that I'm now turning to, finally, Matthew 11, all the way at the end of the chapter, verse 28, he says, come to me. That's the way he begins this little sermon on rest. Come to me. It's very, very personal. There's a, and this is where the me came from. It's way out of order. Come to me, he says, capital M. Don't come to your version of me. Don't come to you. Don't just come to your friends. Don't just get online. Don't get on Facebook looking for this. Come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden. Those of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Isn't that a powerful promise? especially against the backdrop of the Old Testament where the prophets would call people back to the Lord. Say, turn to the Lord, and he will grant you rest. It's called revival. He'll he'll always release these blessings when people turn to him. Here's Jesus in the tradition of those prophets, but he's not saying, turn to the Lord. He's saying, turn to me, because I am the Lord. He's saying it in a way no one else can say it. Come to me. And there's an invitation there, and there's a calling there, that when you connect with me, as I am and that is the context here. In fact, in fact, look back at the beginning of this very chapter. This is precisely what I'm talking about and this is the theme, the underlying theme of this section of Matthew's gospel. In verse 1 when are you with me Matthew 11:1? When Jesus finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach, preach in their cities. Now, while in prison, John heard about the works of the Messiah. How about that action for you? John announcing to the world that the liberator has come, and now he's in prison. John sends word by his disciples and says to Jesus through these messengers, Are you the one who's coming, or or do we look for someone else? It's like, is that a John the Baptist question? Your whole life is geared toward announcing this is the one. Until my path gets me in prison, now I'm wondering. (laughs) Just honest Bible story here, raw reality. John, the greatest of all prophets, the greatest man ever born to this time is now languishing in prison wondering, did I miss something? And, and you know, it, at the end of the chapter, we hear that, that echoing call again, come to me. Don't come to your version of me, come to me. It, it may not get you down the path that you scripted for yourself, but you will find divine rest, supernatural. So Jesus answered and says, go and report to John what you hear and see. Technically speaking, I'm fulfilling the biblical description of Messiah's ministry. Just You don't put it together the right way. No one put it together the right way. We had to be shown. This is the Messiah, Jesus. Here's the real one. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and those, uh, the, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is the person who does not take offense at me. Happy is the person who is not offended, who does not stumble over where I lead him or her. Happy is the person that just accepts me as I am. And then the parallel to that is back in our passage in verse 28, where he says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy. And this newer translation I'm looking at says my yoke is comfortable. That's interesting. And my burden is light. So this is just your basic run-of-the-mill meat and potatoes call to be a people connected to Jesus Christ. And to yield to him and worship him and say, "We'll we'll take you as you are. But we remind ourselves that you are wonderful. There's no one like you considering you, and talking to you, and communing with you, and listening to you, and spending time with you, individually and together. It's life itself. It's connection with the source of eternity, our creator, our God. It's the perfect joy to know you as you are. It's you, Lord. Amen. We contemplate you. This is, this, is, this is the juice from the vine, so to speak, the sap. We think about you. You are real and you are good. We consider that you came from eternity into our world to suffer on our behalf. What kind of man is like you? You are virgin conceived. Jesus, you are wonderful. You lived a life of obedience and then died. You knew no sin, yet God qualified you and made you sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in you. What a powerful, wonderful man. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and of death. But well, that's pretty powerful. This is quite a man. Believing on him liberates us from a law of guilt and, and, and shame and condemnation that we could never be released from. There's no philosophy that could teach us our way out of it. There's no drug we could take to heal us. Impossible for any person, government, scientist, angel, demon, False God, no person, no thing could separate us from the sins that we were born with and then committed. Except for Jesus. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and, and coming in the likeness of, of sinful flesh and, and, and being an offering For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that we could be liberated from our sins. He became a curse for us so that we could live under blessing. It's just good to think about Jesus and to drink in, like take ourselves back into the gospel. This is that man. When he was squeezed The blood came out, the juice of life, and we have partaken, and now we live forever because of the blood of that one man, Jesus. No wonder his closest comrade said, after a very difficult sermon, one of those stumbling block sermons, eating flesh, drinking blood, I think we'll pass on that, we like for you creating bread for us to eat. But this, this issue of this kind of communion and crazy talk is just not for us. And he turns to his closest and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Sometimes that's all we have left. But that's, that's coming from a man who's choosing to serve Jesus as he is, not as he wants him to be. It's like, okay, you blew away all of my renditions of you. And to be honest with you, I don't like what's going on right now. But I know the words of eternal life are flowing from heaven through you. So we're just not going to leave. Well, who else are we going to trust? Ourselves? What everyone else is saying? We trust you. You give eternal life. Guys, it's just good to peel back the, the, the curtain and look at Jesus once or twice every couple of minutes every couple of seconds. It's just good to to do as much unveiling as we can and contemplate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to bask in his beauty and to feast on his goodness and to rejoice. Man, that's one of the ways you know you've been praying. Your heart is happy or at least at peace and content. Sometimes it takes a while to get there. But when we're really in his presence, you guys, ever, you guys ever been praying for a while? You've been praying for a few minutes, 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever. And it's like, man, I'm just not feeling anything right now. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm praying to the wall. Sometimes it, it takes me a while to pray. I'm not saying you're actually praying to the wall. I'm just saying it feels that way emotionally. Sometimes I just, uh, well, anyway, it takes me a while to realize I'm really praying or but let's put it this way. Sometimes it takes me a minute to realize the one to whom I'm really talking. Even though I know it theologically, it's, it, it takes a minute to settle on my heart sometimes. I'm getting a little bit better at that. It's one of the things I've been bathing my heart in. When I just start to pray, it's like God is real, and I just see him. Not physically, visibly, but in my heart. It's like, yes, God is real, and he's wonderful, and he loves me, and I love him. Shandai. Who stole my Honda? <laughs> so much easier to enter in. Because of the actual wonder of who God is. We want to enter rest. We have to enter rest. We have to connect with him. In revelation, Jesus as he is. Amen. Not as we would have him to be. Contemplating this great gospel, which is the unfolding, the explication of Jesus. Jesus. He is with us in spirit, and he's coming back to govern this world, judge it and renew it, and give us eternity in heaven and on earth, everything renewed. This is our Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's good just to have revelation. It sets our, our hearts at rest. And you know what? Any individual, any family, any church that wants to enter divine rest and be postured for resurrection We we just need to connect with Jesus, I mean, really, Jesus, as He's revealed in His Word by His Spirit, as He is, Lord. We take You with the nails, we take You with the scars, we take You wherever You're leading us, Lord. You're the source of eternal life. We don't have anywhere else to go. There's a lot. There's a lot of great Sabbath right there in Jesus. Right there. He goes on to say, "Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest." Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart. That's great just to get a dose of that humility, right? Everybody is irritating, perhaps, to you. Not you. You would never be irritated. I might get irritated at people because they're demanding, 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 but they're not willing to give or whatever. That's irritating. So we go, I go to Jesus, and he says, you know, I'm humble. I lower myself below everybody. Oh, boy, that's right. So I, re- I love thinking about how you're my savior, but when I think about how humble, how, how low you lowered yourself in humility, I think, yikes! I need grace, Lord. To wash the feet of the people who are making my carpet so dirty. The carpet of my life is what I mean. <laughs> Just flying with those metaphors today. The carpet of my life. I'll buy a vowel for the letter E. The carpet of my life. What's the guy's name? Jack? Pat? Pat, say Jack. Pat? Okay. What was I talking about? No, I know what I was talking about. <laughs> to connect with him in Revelation is to connect with the Lord of all lords and the servant of all servants at the same time. And my irritations melt away, not just because he touched me, but because he showed me himself as the meekest of servants who has the potential and more than the potential, the reality of dominating the entire universe. He lowers himself as the most gentle, servant-hearted person. To be in his presence also means that, that I take that and adopt that into my own heart and say, okay, this is who you are by revelation. Now, Now my heart's at rest because I don't have to push myself to make my point. I can see the way you got raised from the dead so I can lower myself and let you take care of the rest. It's extraordinary. It all comes how? By connecting with him. Point number two is gonna be a quickie. Relationships, I will refer you there. You don't have to turn to Hebrews chapter three and verse 13 where the author says that we exhort one another day after day, as long as it's called today. We need one another. God has designed us first for himself, but second to be connected. And we can't disconnect from one another and find rest, at least not the right kind of rest. And I know there's many people in our day and age who suffer from social anxieties of different kinds. Or some people are loners and they're naturally independent and they're just better. They feel better just kind of doing their own thing. I understand that. And some people don't even realize how much they need other people. But biblically speaking, we need to connect with one another. So there's that that continual fresh exhortation that keeps our hearts from growing hard by sin. Which is what this text says. It's just... You know, some of us can't live without constantly connecting with people. We're sanguines who just have to be with people. And what exhausts some people energizes these guys. And then there's people on the other end of the spectrum. It's like, I just talked to this person for three minutes. I, I, what more do you want from me? <laughs> for at least half of it, I was paying attention. I need to, to take a nap. Go into my work shed and build something. I need to be alone to write and decompress from that solid minute and a half of this barrage of information from this person. That's a little harder for people like that, but we need things that are deeper than both ends of that spectrum realize. We need exhortation from one another to keep our hearts alive and vibrant, connected to Jesus. So our relationships are key to entering into divine rest. Part of the way we calibrate ourselves waiting for that call out of the tomb is cultivating these relationships within the body of Christ, exhorting and encouraging one another, because as we build his house, he will build ours. We don't have to build our own house. We build his house and he builds ours. Amen. All right. I told you we'd have to go quickly. That's all right. It's good to spend the most time with Jesus and then go to relationships. And how about the rhythm day by day? We already talked about how God put the lights in the sky that indicated the different seasons because he embedded in creation different seasons. Now, those of you who live in the tropics way down here may not realize that there are other seasons, (laughs) I sympathize. I was born in Miami. I was raised in South Florida. I did not see snow until I was 20 years old. How many of you have never seen snow? Are you a Floridian? Are you a Florida Florida children? Yes. Well, I'm with you there. I saw snow for the first time when I went to visit. Actually, one time it fl- it, there was a flurry in, in um, Hollandale, uh, Hollywood. Hollywood. You guys know about Hollywood, Florida. Just being my Florida, my own Florida self for a minute. Uh, there was a flurry when I was in elementary school. They took us outside. I remember all the flakes in people's ha- hair. It didn't stick. Um, so I ca- technically, that was the first time I saw snow. But the first time I saw snow was when I went to visit Gina's family to ask her dad if, if, uh, if I could marry her. And um, I saw the snow as I was leaving. It was coming down. I saw it through the, you know, the tunnel you go into the plane, the space between the plane and the, the tunnel thing, snow. Wow, first time. Get on the plane. Anyway, what possibly could have been my point? Ah, seasons, yeah. I remember people coming down to visit from the north, family members and such, and they'd say, man, it's so humid here. And I think, what are you even talking about? I knew nothing else except Florida humidity. It's the only thing I ever knew. So I didn't know it was humid. And then we moved up to the Midwest. It could get humid there too, but we were in the Chicago area and it's like, wow. There were like really low humidity. It's like this is a completely different world. I didn't know there was anything like this. Then I realized, ah, oh, this is what they were talking about. Humidity, okay. I remember that first day in Chicago was extraordinary. It's like, I didn't know there was weather like this. It's like 60s, breeze, no humidity. That was the only day like that. <laughs> and it's like, okay, take me back to Florida, Chicago, Milwaukee, and anyway. There are seasons. You know, when I go back home, it's going to be in the 30s when we go back Tomorrow. There are different seasons. You have to act appropriately in other states during these seasons. You know, the the fall leaves and all that that means, you know. When God manifests his spirit, when I sense his presence, I often think of the fall, the changing of the colors and the leaves. There's just something about that season that reminds me of the manifest presence of God. You'd think it would be in the spring, but for me, it's in the fall. So we need to recognize there's different seasons of life. There's 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 one day a week God gave his people to enjoy a Sabbath. I'm not saying we have, to, we have to conform to these days and seasons. I'm saying there's wisdom there to live by rhythms, where we have our times with God and we have our times with one another. You know, spouses should have times on the schedule when they spend time together to talk or go on dates or whatever. We must develop Godly rhythms that orient us toward the things that God uses to connect us to him for Sabbath. That was a long sentence. We just need to develop life rhythms that keep the habits alive that connect us to God and to one another. We need life rhythms that make sense and not replace flurries of activities with productivity or worse yet than the kind of life that God wants us to lead. We should let biblical principles, God himself through biblical principles, dictate the way we live, not the spirit of the world. I know it's easier said than done. You young people that are here listening, I'm not telling you you can skip school. There's something about those life rhythms. You go to school, for those of you still going to school, I don't know what, what the, I guess it's Florida, so there's not a lockdown here. The kids are going to school Like that's not just the spirit of the world, that's the spirit of normal humanity. Kids gotta go to school. You know, we usually rest on the weekends, we gotta go to work, those of you with day jobs, you know, those rhythms are a part of life. But but generally speaking, we can't let the spirit of the world dictate our life rhythms so that we can't live according to the world's rhythms and God's rhythm rhythms at the same time, and then we choose the world rhythm. We can't do that. We must live in a rhythm that makes the best sense of biblical principles. We can't avoid it. And if we have to make major change to do that, then may God give us grace. I had to do that when I, our whole family had to do that when we transitioned to church planting. We were in conventional ministry. I was paid as a minister sometimes, but it was my job. And so I had to adjust my life rhythm. I couldn't I couldn't be on a staff anymore, so I had to step out. But the Lord said, if you step out and live by that new rhythm, I'll bless you and provide for you. And he did. He did and he has been ever since. Sometimes we're a little higher on that scale, sometimes a little lower. But he's done that. I remember praying one day. He says, I'll provide for you in these ways. He showed me some avenues. And that's exactly what he's, what he's done. So God will provide. We can't, we, you know, some things are common sense. You got you to gotta do the normal rhythm of life like anybody else. But we have to be careful to not let the rhythms of this world dictate the rhythms of our lives in serving Jesus. And finally, when we allow the rule of God to restore us. We enter his rest. Here's what I mean. Just a few comments about that. We enter God's rest when we repent of sin that we've been habitually committing. If there's hidden sin, if there's struggles with sin, we we go to God. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. We connect with God's people. We say, help me through this. Give me accountability. And let me, you know, interact with you enough to where you're helping keeping me safe or whatever it is. We, we, we enter rest when we allow God to restore us from our sinful lives and the destruction of sin. Sometimes just the beginning of rest means we repent, we turn away from sin, we turn to the Lord. We say, no more, I'm coming to Jesus once and for all in my life or on this issue. But it's not just that. It's those of us, we may have been walking with the Lord. We've repented and we've walked with God for years and years We're still called to a life that's not ruled by sins or these emotional anomalies like yielding to fear and yielding to lust or yielding to anger. It's like, no, Lord, I I come to you. Burn in my heart, burn in my emotions, restore me. I don't want to just keep saying I'm sorry for these things. I want to be restored. Restored. I pray for for the operations of your spirit in my heart to restore me to a level of Christ-likeness from which I can grow on a new level from this moment forward. We're restored when we go through difficult times and we do just like I talked about at the very beginning. Now I guess I'm coming full circle, to close. When we allow God to use very trying circumstances... Instead of creating complaining or resistance or despair or fear or worry, we allow God to use those circumstances to create character. It's like, okay, here I am. I don't see the solution, but I'm going to go on record now saying, I believe the Lord to get me through this. It feels raw. I'm used to feeling some kind of crutch. God plus the solution right away. But I don't get that right now. But you know what? I just declare Jesus is real. He's Lord. I give myself to him. He's going to see me through this. I don't know how, but I believe. Man, that develops something in our hearts. We, we can't develop that in a meeting like this. We could get good. We need, to, I mean, I, you know, part three was relationships. We need the exhortations. But we don't develop just by sitting in meetings like this. We develop by going through real life with its hard turns and twists. And believing God during those times, as Paul says in Romans 5. And we won't turn there, but I'll leave you with this passage. That having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've received our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult, or we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. But not only this, we celebrate in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. You see the words Paul's using? He says we we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. But wait a minute, before I just talk about hope, i got to tell you what's beneath the surface of that hope. You're going to go through some hard times. So we glory in tribulations. Why do we glory in tribulations? Even things God didn't cause, problems. Why do we glory in them? Well, not because of the bad things that are happening, but because through the tribulations, I'm going to develop perseverance. Paul says, knowing this, we can celebrate in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance brings about proven character. There's the diamond right there. Oh, Lord, my Christ-like character is worth it all. So I'll go through this. Just get me through it. I don't want to bypass it, and I don't want to be a glutton for punishment. Even Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame. It's not like, yeah, this is so awesome. No, it's, this is horrific. This is torture. But on the other side is the joy set before me. Resurrection glory. I won't go through this forever, but I'll have resurrection forever. So we go through tribulation with joy, knowing it brings about perseverance And we know that perseverance brings about proven character. And then that proven character, that Christ-like formed and forged diamond, that character brings about that hope Paul started talking about. Because when when you go through things allowing God to work on your and my character, we, we see more clearly the hope to which we've been called. We're not here in this world to live just for this world in a temporary moment. We're here living for that resurrection moment. So hope gets brighter as we allow difficult things to bring about our character. When we allow that kind of working of God in our hearts and lives through difficult times, God's restoring us to become more like Jesus And there's no way we can enter God's rest without allowing him to use those difficulties like like hammer and chisel to forge us into the image of his son. And when we go through things like that and we know Jesus better, man, I'll tell you what, just that dawn of of rest just continues to rise in our hearts, just a deeper contentment, a, a deeper authenticity, a greater capacity for faith and for joy. When we go through paths like that and allow God to bring about restoration. That's how we enter his rest. It's no mistake that the word rest is a part of the word. (laughs) Restoration. Let's stand together and let me pray for you that God would just burn the truth of this gospel message into our hearts. And give you grace as you go through various trials. Thanks, Shane. Good to see you, brother. <laughs> as we do that, I would just encourage you all. Those of you who are committing habitual sins, you know, you, there's something you're trapped in that you haven't confessed and brought to the Lord or others. I would encourage you tonight as we're making this transition to really confess it to the Lord and make your peace with him on this issue. And then find trusted people, friends, leaders in your church that you can share it with, you know, people that you can trust that it would be appropriate to share it with and and just to get prayer and, and companionship through that thing. Just bring it into the light in the safe place of the love of God among his people. I encourage those of you, if you harbor any anger or bitterness towards someone else in your heart, to let God restore you by forgiving that person. I know some of you may have been hurt very, very deeply in very, very difficult and abusive situations. So it's easier said than done. But I encourage you to be willing to do it. And God will give you the emotional strength to do it. I'm going to pray for you. For those of you going through a really hard time, some level or another, I'm going to pray for you that God will give you courage to see his purposes through it. Even if he didn't cause the bad thing, He could still use it, right? God causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So I encourage your repentance. I encourage you to forgive. And I encourage you to receive courage. In courage. There you have it. As you walk through various trials. Abba Father, we come to you in prayer with all of our hearts. Praise God. Thank you, Abba Father. Oh, Abba, Abba, Abba. On your throne, ruling the universe as sovereign, yet so deeply delighted in the little kids. Just so delighted in these, your children. Yes, Abba, Father. I just encourage anyone here who feels like God can't love you or there's, you're not as lovely to him as other people are, Really throw that thinking away and just trust the love of God. He really deeply loves you and delights in you. He made you. He redeemed you for himself. This is on his heart. Sometimes our hearts don't agree with his heart, but his heart is one of deep love for you. So choose his heart if yours contradicts his and bring his emotions into your heart. Come on now, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Abba, I pray for the flood of love in these precious hearts. For those of, uh, Father, for those that struggle with your love, I pray that you'll touch them and make it easy to know that you love them and to rest in your love. Oh, Father, you are so gentle and kind, so personal and intimate, so in love with the little children. Uh, and we, we delight in your love. Right now, we delight in your love. We're thankful for your love. Father God, you're such a wonderful father, such a wonderful father. Our fathers were imperfect at at best, but you're perfect, and you're good, and you're kind, and we just delight in you. Thank you, Abba Father. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your kingdom would come in fresh waves of the Spirit in each and every heart here and in every church here establish your kingdom in jesus name bring your people into sabbath rest create the scenario of this garden that we talked about connecting with jesus and relationships and rhythms of life and being restored lord bring these virtues to pass by your grace by your spirit just do it lord bring us, lead us into Sabbath rest, and may we be diligent to enter your rest so that we might be beautiful in our season, and we might be ready for that great Jesus movement, that resurrection on the other side of this tomb. Lord, this tomb to us is not a place of loneliness or ugliness, and not merely death. It's a place of rest. So help us, make us wise in the way we're configuring ourselves to enter rest, so that we're postured and ready when you're calling us up higher in the next season. Praise God. Jesus is Lord. In his name we pray.